Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Buzz Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today on our first episode of 2023. So happy new year to you. My name is Father Daniele and I'm joined by Josh Sullivan. Hello. Happy new year. Happy new year. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm joined over here by Matt Van Milligan. Hello. Happy new year to you. Happy new year. So we begun a new year, which is always exciting, right? Uh, but uh, in in our life, in the life of the Catholic Church, on the final day of 2022, on December 31st, uh, we heard the news of the death of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, mm-hmm. and so that sort of really has clouded the, some of the celebrations of the end of the new year, or at the end of the old year, the beginning of the new year, and like especially because you know at the end of the, the old year, beginning of the new year, we always celebrate the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. So obviously, the celebrations of the Vatican, the celebrations in parishes across the world, where it was a little bit clouded because of the death of, uh, of Pope Benedict, and rightfully so, mm-hmm. right? So today, on uh, I think all three of us have mourned the loss of Pope Benedict, and today we're going to talk a little bit about Pope Benedict and his contributions uh, to the church. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, maybe at one point, we can share our own short, if that's possible, <laughs> personal story yeah. of uh, how Pope Benedict uh, uh, affected maybe our life, you know, because... He was the pontiff between 2005 and 2013, mm-hmm. yeah. which means we <laughs> were in our 20s. Yeah. yeah. In our 20s. Yeah, he, he was the pope when I became Catholic. There you there go. You go. Yeah. He was the pope when I went to the seminary to study uh, for the priesthood. Yeah. 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 So uh, maybe we each have a, a little personal story. But first... Um, obviously we knew, especially this year, like I, I've been following uh, a little bit uh, of news on Pope Benedict, uh, that his health was declining. That's right. And, and you, every once in a while on Instagram, I'd see pictures of him, uh, with someone, or even I think Pope Francis, you know, give credit to Pope Francis would visit him quite often. And you'd see the, the, the fragility, the frailty mm-hmm. of, of his face and his body recently. And so when we got news, sort of the in between Christmas and New Year's, you know, Pope Francis had announced, please pray for Pope Benedict because he's not doing well. I think we all kind of knew that the Lord's the Lord was calling him home. And he was it was ninety five. That's that's a pretty good long life. You know what I mean? If I can only live to ninety five, I'll be happy. Yeah, exactly. Um, So we're not going to give like a biographical episode on Pope Benedict. There's lots of places people can find a biography about uh, Pope Benedict, but just some highlights of of, uh, his life I think that are important. One that you know he was one of the greatest uh, theologians of our modern day. You know, and so he started his his career as a theologian. And from that was moved to the Vatican by John Paul II, where yeah. you know he was made a cardinal when he was the Archbishop of, of Munich and uh, w- became uh, the prefect of the uh, Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, was sort of a side-by-side with John Paul II, mm-hmm. yeah. and then was elected pope. Of course, people remember him for his announcement that he was resigning yeah. from the papacy in 2000. 13 and then he spent the last nine years really in sort of a prayerful support of the church and i can't wait maybe maybe he's written things over those nine year period that haven't been released yet or uh, i don't know i can't wait to see so let's kind of go through some of the things that we can highlight about pope benedict because um i i think you know his funeral was last week and uh it was a simple funeral the vatican said that that was his 
request. Yeah, he asked for that. Simple yeah, yeah. funeral. So you didn't see all the pomp and circumstance uh, of uh, like a sitting pope, if you would, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, even with the um, um, representatives from different countries, like official delegations from other countries, only. Uh, Italy and Germany was was allowed uh, or invited for official delegations. You know, and maybe the simplicity of the funeral kind of raised my eyebrow a bit. Yeah. You know, like still this was a man who was the pontiff of the of the of the church. Um, just because he wasn't the sitting pontiff doesn't mean that there couldn't have been a, a greater sort of celebration, yeah. right? Like let's say for example, a former prime minister of Canada right. or a former president of the United States, you know, just because they're not in office you know, it's still a it's still a big to do. Yeah. yeah, but I think that's kind of who he was as a person, yeah, right? It, like it, that's it makes sense. Like his demeanor was, he wasn't as you know you would say charismatic as as JP two or yeah. maybe even as extroverted as 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 you would might expect a pope to be. He was right. Like up until he became pope, or maybe you would say up until he be was appointed to. Um, Kind of the the Roman Curia itself. He was he was kind of a, a shy academic, or like yes. that. That was his his background, and he, like he would lecture to you know a group of students, but you know addressing you know uh, St. Peter's Square, like and it's a know, different thing, and yeah. and the kind of um, you know uh, public figure. Um, the Pope is. Yeah, the, the, the Pope That's is expected the to be. Pope, yeah. I, he, he always seemed a little bit uncomfortable in that role. So sure, it, it fits if 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 that was actually his request that it yeah be, uh, yeah. Sure, that's true, and I like how you know he is like a shy sort of academic. Uh, but you know, reading the stories in the past week about people who have been reflecting on the life of Pope Benedict, so many people saying that in their studies or even living in Rome, where he was a cardinal at the time, you know, they would just you know all, all these uh, high up sort of Vatican position people sort of whisked here and whisked there, mm-hmm. you know, and here's. Uh, Cardinal Ratzinger just kind of walking with his briefcase in his hand through very simple Peter Square yeah. and people approach him yeah. and and he stops and with his red shoes speaks to them <laughs> and things you know so yeah I think there's a there's a humility mm-hmm. there that we can obviously see um, okay then I wasn't going to talk about this right now but th- since it's uh, you you sort of brought it up. Like this humility mm-hmm. of, of Pope Benedict, I think for me, shines through. However, as Pope Benedict, uh, people sort of classified him or marked him to be some sort of like powerhouse person with who came down hard oh, and uh, conservative leaning and uh, sort of portrayed him as a sort of a mean old character, right? Yeah. I don't know if you've watched the movie on Netflix, The Two Popes. No, have you yeah, seen that movie? yeah, yeah. No, I have. I haven't seen the full thing. So I just, many people say to me, "Father, have you seen the movie The Two Popes?" And yes, I just don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like it. And people say, "Why?" I love that movie, and and I think one of the reasons why I don't like it is because they portray Pope Benedict uh, as sort of this uh, complainer, as sort of this uh, person who doesn't know what to do yeah. with the task he has, uh, and he's sort of crusty. Uh, about the shape of the world, and uh, here yeah. comes Pope Francis to save the day. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, of course, it's Hollywood and yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I think that's part of the reason I don't like it. But so, why does this man, who's who's humble, who just served the church with his whole for his whole life, why does he get portrayed as someone like that? Yeah, I I, I would say that you, like d- different popes have different priorities, and you know the office of pope itself 
involves taking responsibility for a number of different things within the Vatican and what, you know, you're uh, a moral teacher. You're also responsible for kind of administrating the Roman Curia. You're also responsible for kind of the, like the public relations. Like, so there are all kinds of aspects of Pope that, you know, different Popes have done to different degrees of success. Um, I think what uh, Pope Benedict brought um, to the papacy was, uh, you know, um, theological clarity, you know, clear moral teaching, like, um, and and you know an intellectual generosity that I think a lot of people miss that mm-hmm. like um, uh, yeah there, there are a bunch of anecdotes that would support that but not personal anecdotes but um, <laughs> um, but that's you know uh, the the way that a lot of people come to that is it's like okay clear teaching on moral matters that like they they kind of just caricature him as this kind of brow beating you know you're doing the wrong thing yeah. kind of person. But like the the full range of what he actually did, of what he actually offered, like a, a lot of people right now uh, starting this year are starting the Father Mike Schmidt's Catechism in the Year. Right. They don't realize that, you know, while JP2 was still the Pope um, in the late 80s, commissioned, you know, authoring the Catechism of the Catholic Church, like yeah. having a clear picture of, of what the Church teaches, a summary, and, and as it yeah. says in the introduction, a summary of Christian doctrine. Um, that um, they, um, Benedict, for the most part, authored this kind of solo and then yeah. was like, um, uh, worked with JP2 to kind of finalize it and publish it and, you know, issue it uh, through the church. But it's like, that, like this is more of a, like, um, giving a positive theology um, is, is the thing that's missed by a lot of people who want to kind of caricature him as, you know, this, you know, um, uh, you know, moral teacher or like just you know moral reprimander uh, um or like putting putting the church in line he's like no this is this is um this is the fullness of the teaching of the church um and you know sometimes that's missed by people who, who maybe just want to focus on you know just the, the moral and this is what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do and i think a lot of people too were taking like it, with vatican ii and with all that stuff we, we've talked about this before in the podcast but there were there were um steps taken or or let's say leniencies towards what the catholic church was actually teaching mm-hmm. at a time because the catholic church now with vatican ii this happened this happened this happened and people were taking their ideas and their beliefs and putting them towards what vatican ii had changed but that wasn't actually the case mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like it's kind of like someone like imagine a brother coming down and saying hey mom said we can have a big party in the basement you know we're gonna invite all our friends over and then while that party's happening you know, the next brother comes and said, no, she said we can have two friends over for the, you know, like, no, I'm clarifying what she said here. It, it's looked at as like yeah, yeah. the person coming in to spoil the party. Yeah. But really what's happening is like, no, I'm laying down like, no, no, what's going on here is we're, we, you guys took this and, and ran away with yeah. it. And that's not actually what the church teaches. The church teaches this. And so it can kind of sometimes look at what, what he was actually yeah. doing was clarifying. And what he was actually doing was putting us back on track and putting yeah. us back in our place. But, but, but the, the people that were yeah. go like just That's, being willy nilly with the faith or just yeah. taking and making the faith something completely different yeah. were being put back in line. And that's where I think a lot mm-hmm. of times the media and the people that kind of, you know, taken like, well, he was saying this, but now Pope now reprimanded him or whatever the case may be, never reprimand, but you know, um, corrected him. And now, 
now the whole Catholic Church is 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 more conservative than we really thought or whatever. So yeah, and I, I like that. I mean, you know, <laughs> your example there is like you know Pope Benedict, one of the most intellectual people, and now it's resorted to this example of mom <laughs> yeah. Play, yeah. giving rules for a house party. But yeah, no, but I like what you said because it's very true. Because during his papacy, but not only during. His papacy, uh, but you know, through his theological teachings, like Matt, mm-hmm. you mentioned the Catechism of the Catholic Church, yeah. right? Uh, this is all just to pr- present more clarity. And I think if we're going to look at the papacy of, of Pope Benedict, that's what I have found so enriching mm-hmm. about Pope Benedict is that he has sort of found this way to deepen the conversation about things like moral truths, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we've taken that. For granted, I think we, when you look back on his papacy and you sort of see like, whoa, he said some things here that mm-hmm. have given us clarity mm-hmm. for today, right? Yeah. And, and, and in as much as an intellectual he was, pretty simply, yeah. I would say, you know, yeah. I mean, his oh, yeah, texts yeah. are dense Accessibly, and long. yeah. Accessibly, sure. Yeah. Sure. yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting that people want to put him on this like political continuum that he was like this, yeah. you know, conservative brow. But like he offered that precision. He offered that clarity in kind of correction of both ends of the political ske- yeah. spectrum. Yes. He, yes, exactly. He criticized and like, um, uh, uh, um, relativism and right. like liberalism within the church. He also critiqued, you know, these, far-leaning, hyper-conservative, you would say, kind of factions within the church and yeah, actually... Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. bringing back yeah, yeah. on track from both sides. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I think he did something that was very important as a, also as a society and not just as a church is he was pointing out the fact that, you know, like you mentioned relativism where everything is just, you know, oh, everything's the same, everything's yeah, yeah, relative yeah. sort of thing, right? But also like this this growing concern that he had with the denial of objective truth, mm-hmm. right? And, and he was always pointing us back towards, you know, God is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think there was a beauty in that that Pope Benedict was trying to encourage. I heard a lot of people talk about how JP2 converted hearts, but Pope Benedict converted minds. Mm. And so it, 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 it seemed really that they, they, the fact that they followed one after another really makes sense because you got to first, you know, you got to evangelize the heart and then you can evangelize the mind. You got to be converted in your heart first. And, and, and then once you're converted in your heart, you can then start to grasp and understand and start to want to dig mm-hmm. into your faith in, in a mind. You know what I mean? Like, and, and so the fact that JP two was who he was and the charismatic figure that he was and, and, and bringing people to love God and love, no, and know Jesus and all that stuff. But then those people who hearts were converted now got to intellectually dig into our faith and be able to actually use the ideas that, Pope Benedict put forward to to sculpt who they were as Catholics, you know, which is kind of cool. Yeah, very cool. And I'm just remembering uh, now. Obviously, uh, Pope Benedict was elected in April of 2005 uh, as as pope. As, as pope, and then later that same year, during the summer, uh, it was World Youth Days in mm-hmm. Cologne, Germany, and I was there. And you know, when people talk about not being as charismatic as as John Paul II mm-hmm. or Pope Francis. I remember him leading this World Youth Days and people having real conversion of hearts listening to him speak, you know? And I remember him talking to us, you know, like he was like, uh, he was saying like, don't settle 
Don't settle for what yeah. you're doing in your life. You're you're not called to be like everyone else. You know, the Lord is calling you to greatness. And and these young people uh, were really looking to him with with great admiration, but with this sense that you know this man is speaking to, to our me. hearts, to yeah. me. Yeah. You know, and I remember too because we were in Cologne, yeah. Germany. And if you've ever been to the cathedral in Cologne, Germany, beautiful Gothic. Uh, structure. It's, I think, built in the 1600s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I toured it when we were there for World Youth Day. And the tradition is that in the sanctuary of this Cologne Cathedral are the relics of the Magi that we just celebrated for the the Epiphany. Epiphany. Oh, interesting. Right? And here it was in the middle of a warm, hot, like, European summer Mm. in Germany. And Pope Benedict is talking to us about the Magi. And it was really cool because it wasn't the Epiphany, right? But here it was. And he was making the point that these people were following what where God had set them on to a path. And then when God sort of takes you on a journey, where you're gonna end up might like might not be where you Mm -hmm. have thought. But God's plan comes to fulfillment. And I just remember listening to that in my own heart and being like, yeah, like why not let the Lord guide our life? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Magi are a good example of this because <laughs> how did their, rel- like, you know, the gospel that we just read yeah. on the Epiphany, it's like, so they went, they, ret- they went on their path by a different road. Yeah. Obviously, if they've ended up in Cologne, Germany, you know, the, the <laughs> relics of their... Uh, the relics there are, are in Cologne, Germany. They that. were on a different path, mm-hmm. but it was the path that God had for them. Mm-hmm. And and just the way he was instructed, like, you know, this intellectual man speaking to the hearts of young people. Mm-hmm. It was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was it was a really graced moment. And I think that's what I love about Pope Benedict is that when you hear him speak, he's speaking to our hearts. He, there, was, there was a lot of graced moments where you were like, wow, the depth of this conversation is really touching more than just my ears. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I like it's really making me reflect. Mm-hmm. It's it's making me interiorize what I'm hearing. Yeah. I think the other thing that too that the other thing that I really that gets kind of passed by and it kind of gets actually I think attributed to Pope Francis, but it's actually Pope Benedict that first started with Twitter. Uh, yeah. and, and started actual the yes. open news media from the Vatican like to 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 give the news directly to the people and yeah. that kind of thing, like the unofficial, I guess, uh, but official news sources and stuff. And so connecting to the real world on that front. Now, and that might also be why, like, because now there's no second guessing or th- hearing through a third person or fourth person or fifth party of the, you know, like what the Pope said. It's mm-hmm. it's direct. It's it's This is exactly what is being said. So there's no sugarcoating it, if that makes sense, or whatever. It's, it's, it's a direct line to exactly... Um, what's being portrayed and what's being, so people can hear it directly. Yeah. yeah. And while we're on, on the, the subject of like, um, clarifying misconceptions that like, um, he's, it was just kind of like this removed academic from, you know, the concerns of real people that mm-hmm. no, like he, he would regularly call different groups to the Vatican to like, yeah. to have a discussion with them to, um, uh, I think it was like 2012 or something like that, maybe earlier. Um, he invited a bunch of, uh, poets and artists and like, um, uh, to the to to have a discussion to and and to address them, 
uh, specifically, but a, a lot of them were, were Catholic artists. Some of them mm-hmm. were just well-known, you would say, kind of secular. It's like you have a gift and you have an ability, like yeah, pursue the good, the true, and the beautiful. So it's, yes. like, right. it's not just kind of this abstract intellectual project. It's like, no, in, in what you're doing, in what you're producing, you can you can participate in in what God is doing, and you can you can demonstrate kind of the the glory of God. So Pope Benedict has written extensively. Yeah. Yes. Oh, what yeah. what's like uh, you, Matt? You know, you're the yeah. most academic here around this uh, table. What would you say were some of his uh, influential writings for yourself, or or things that you look to and say, "Wow, this was really helpful for me in my own faith formation." Okay, so I, I did actually bring a couple books, mostly because I like to walk around carrying books because it helps me, you know, <laughs> facilitate this image of myself. No, it gives um, him a really good yeah. strong arm for like yeah. lifting weights and stuff. No, and and, and I I started reading, you know. Uh, Pope Benedict, but then kind of Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, well before I became Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first book I read uh, by him was uh, Christianity and the Crisis of Cultures, which basically, um, I'm not going to summarize each of the books, right. um, but he, he talks about how, you know, kind of uh, uh, historically and, you know, within the intellectual tradition of the West, you know, the further, um, you know, uh, ideas, philosophies, uh, cultures, civilizations got away from, you know, the centrality of faith and the centrality of Christ. They, they, they lost, yes, in, in the case of like the Roman Empire, like they actually lost their, their cultures or their civilizations, but they, in many cases, lost what, you know, makes them distinctly human. They lost their sense of human dignity. And it's like, he does a really, really good job, um, kind of walking through those, um, um, you know, those historical examples, but actually making the point of, um, you know, how important faith really is. Um, one of the, the books, uh, again, before I became um, uh, Catholic, he had a, like a public debate with um, uh, one of the, uh, you would say, kind of the, the preeminent German philosophers of the time on, you know, the basis of civilization. And he's like, what is a civilization without faith? And, you know, I would say he, he kind of won that debate. But like, for me, it was, um, you know, at the time I was studying philosophy, I was like, I was interested in the church. And <clears throat> for me, it was, it was, and I've said it on the podcast a, a few times that, um, you know, the intellectual tradition of the church doesn't shy away from the world. Like, we're, we're not scared of, you know, ideas that like that, that are presented. We're not scared of philosophy. It's like because the intellectual tradition of the church is is a match for, yeah. um, you know, kind of an, any idea that you'll you'll find out there. And that's like that that was my experience studying philosophy and looking into uh, Catholicism. Um, but that's also kind of the historical experience of the church in the 20th century. Um, that you know we, we've talked about kind of Vatican II and like this. How does the church engage? The modern culture, yeah. um, things like that, um, and then kind of the the other book that was um, uh, really influential for me was um, *Spirit of the Liturgy*, um, where he talks, he gives um, just a really good explanation of what liturgy is. And for me, I didn't know what liturgy was at all, but from a Protestant background, you know, scripture was really important to me. Um, and if you read any of his encyclicals, any of his books. They're so rich in in kind of scriptural references, like everything is footnoted. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And there's there's a lot more to say about that, but I I, I don't want to take 
take yeah, over. And I, I think uh, there's lots, like a lot of people have told me that uh, Cardinal Ratzinger's book, Introduction to Christianity, mm-hmm. is like so like mind-blowing and uh, just life-giving mm-hmm. for them. There's another book that uh, we can recommend that people can uh, read if they're looking on the, uh, for, you know, amazing things that Pope Benedict has written. Um, so his, his, his intellectual contributions to the church you know, John Paul II names him in 1981 as the prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, one of the highest uh, congregations, now the dicastery, uh, in uh, the Vatican. And that's where he puts together the Catechism of the Catholic Church. That's where he's in this position to sort of, you know, flesh out some of the, the teachings of the Catholic Church, which, which has, has been beautiful. Uh, so at the time of his election, really, Pope Benedict wasn't, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger wasn't expecting to be elected Pope. I mean, mm-hmm. he gave, he presided over the funeral of John Paul II. Uh, he was the, the dean of the cardinal. That's right. Yeah, and and he also gave a homily in preparation for the conclave. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, and it's clear from what he said. You can go back and see what he wrote, what he, what he was saying, that he wasn't thinking that he was going to be elected. Now, he's elected the, the Holy Father, the, the Pope uh, of the Catholic Church. And there's, aside from his intellectual uh, contributions, I think some of the things that he's remembered for in his papacy um, are obviously some of the beautiful things that he wrote, but his encyclicals too, like his first encyclical, uh, Deus Caritas Est, God is Love, mm-hmm. released on Christmas Day, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, released on Christmas Day uh, of 2005, I believe, uh, the first year that he was pontiff. But his encyclicals were really like... Uh, also calling people to, as much as people say that he was a staunch sort of rule guy, like he was mm-hmm. calling people to understand that God is love. Yeah, like yeah. That, that's the reason for all of this, that God loves us. And I think that's really beautiful. Some of the things that he'll be remembered for, I think, if I can just say them quickly, is uh, he called people back to uh, uh, the celebration of the Tridentine Mass, mm-hmm. of the Latin Mass. You know, now there's sort of restrictions on on that uh, with this current papacy. But Pope Benedict has allowed for sort of celebrations for that in the Latin Mass, which I think has helped sort of some people uh, rediscover their faith or or come to the faith. There was uh, also he uh, this this uh, situation with the Anglican Church. Mm-hmm. Remember yeah. uh, the Ordinariate, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. which established which Pope Francis established in 2011, where he has opened the doors for congregations of the Anglican Church to return to the Catholic yeah. Church. While still maintaining some of their traditions, mm-hmm. you know that mm-hmm. you know there's lots of people from from that former tradition uh, speaking about how that has helped them come into the Catholic Church. Um, then I would say that he also sort of had to tackle sort of the sexual abuse mm-hmm. uh, crisis he in really the church, did. right? And he was kind of he's criticized uh, whatever you do in that sort of. Uh, capacity, you're going to be criticized. But he was the one that tackled it. I've heard him speak in many languages on in many occasions, apologizing for the for the abuse yeah, for sure. uh, that was, um, you know, that people had to endure at the hands of some uh, priests or members of the church. Uh, you know, he was the one that laicized. I think the number was 800 uh, priests. Like very quickly, he sort of sped up that process to like no you were not faithful to your calling to here to the church you're gone sort of thing like he came down hard on on those situations where i think uh we had not seen that before in the catholic church right i know that here in canada 
that Pope uh, Pope Benedict, sorry, in two thousand nine, uh, welcomed a uh, um, a delegation of Indigenous people to the Vatican, and where he expressed his sorrow and that he reiterated that acts of abuse cannot be tolerable or tolerated. He called them deplorable. Uh, and uh, he spoke with the Indigenous Peoples of Canada back in 2009. You know, people like uh, uh, Chief Edward John was there. People like Phil uh, Fontaine, uh, the National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, was there. You know, and, and like people who were uh, sort of moved by, I, I know Fontaine at the time said that what he had heard gave him great comfort, uh, you know, what he heard from Pope Benedict. That had not been seen before, mm-hmm. I think, from... Uh, from this, from Pope Benedict's uh, papacy, right? So there's a lot of things in what he has done as the pontiff that I, I think that people may have forgotten because it's been, you know, years. a while since mm-hmm. almost 10 years now yeah. since he resigned. Oh, you know, next month will be 10 years yeah. since he resigned from the papacy. Then, of course, his resignation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what he'll be remembered for. Well, he's the first pope to resign in 600 years, right? So that I think that's a big one. And not knowing that a pope could resign, especially after seeing um, JP2 and live through the suffering that JP2 lived with. I mean, his mind was still there, but being able to communicate and being able to actually move about. Like, I remember hearing stories about how JP2 used to go jogging through the villages that he would be visiting and stuff. Like, he'd just go jogging. And then to the point of what, what I remember seeing him as is in, in the wheelchair and hardly being able to talk and him getting frustrated over his words. Um, you see that, and then you see Pope Benedict for the first time in 600 years, decide to retire. Yeah. You know, like to resign. Yeah. And that, and, and then, okay, what do we do with two popes now? Like, how do we, how do we, how do we, but it was, I think he was probably one of the best people in our past that could have done that and done it as graciously as he did. Mm-hmm. And then not steal the spotlight. I mean, people always tried to, uh, well, the, the other Pope said this, you know what I mean? Like right. they, they tried to do that, but a lot of times Pope Benedict didn't, um, mm-hmm. didn't necessarily, uh, step out and say things like didn't try to overcorrect or try to over, you know, that you, you did see a lot of times that the popes were on the same page for most things. There were a few things that kind of came out uh, or that people like to claim in the news and media to kind of twist words and stuff. But other than that, like there were like for the most part, you know? Oh yeah. And yeah. like, think of it. If you were, if you were Pope Francis, you, you, you now have a living successor. Uh, I mean, I, I mean a living, a living, um, uh, a, a mentor, yeah. a predecessor. Yeah, thank you. Uh, a, a mentor that you could kind of like. Okay, there's nobody else that has this stress or this position in the world. I gotta rely completely on God, and now there is one other person. You know, like the other person that understands what this position is, and and uh, you know what the room of tears really means. Kinda. I think that's worth noting, uh, Josh, because uh, you know some people. It's just natural to pit. It's like you know you pit yeah, one yeah. parent versus mm-hmm. the other. Yeah. Uh, but I say like grace on both of their ends. Yeah. I think Pope Benedict, uh, you know, slipped out of the spotlight gracefully. Mm-hmm. And, but Pope Francis also was graceful in, in the fact like that he visited Pope Benedict. Constantly uh, he including him. Included yeah. him in, yeah. in major events and things like that. So it wasn't like, a, it wasn't like a, you're banished or, no, no, you're, no, 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 you no. know, this awkwardness. I think both of them were very graceful. And, and I think the fraternity there was uh, something beautiful uh, to see. We're running out of time here, but uh, one more thing before we uh, uh, close up this episode is that there is a lot of talk about will Pope Benedict be made a doctor of the church? And uh, a doctor of the church is someone whose intellectual writings have contributed to the thought 
of of the church, right? And so um, the, this is the question now. People are saying, "Well, he's going to be our our doctor of the church." What do you what do you think about that? I hope so, and 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 I think so because I like he because he was such a quiet figure, um, and because of you know all of the other stuff you associate with Pope, you, you can miss the fact that he was arguably like the preeminent theologian of the 20th century. Yeah. Um, that like his his command of scripture, um, his command of philosophy, you know, ancient and modern. Um, uh, uh, one of, uh, it's, it's actually uh, JP2's biographer was talking about a lot of his conversations with, with Benedict. Um, um, and he was saying that like, um, you could ask a question um, and he would respond in like full, complete paragraphs in his third or fourth language that is like the the yeah. intellectual capacity that yeah. he had was often you know downplayed by his his humble demeanor yeah. but like as you know as 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 an intellectual as you know someone who contributed substantially to thought of the church which is what a doctor of the church is um it's hard to find someone comparable the powerhouse that he was yeah. right yeah there are currently 37 doctors of the church four oh, yeah. of them are women and 33 are men and they span of course the uh, the course of, of mm-hmm. church history uh, now to for pope benedict to be named a doctor of the church i believe he's got to be named a saint uh, first mm-hmm. right uh, and uh, usually that uh, there's a requirement typically to wait at least 5 years uh, before a cause for sainthood can be opened. However, mm-hmm. Pope Benedict waived yeah. that for, for Pope John Paul yeah. II. So, uh, but, you know, in the life of the church, like, you know, today we kind of live in this world where things happen really fast, 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 yeah. fast, where like, you know, canonizations of saints have taken centuries, yeah. Yeah. you know. Like, and so. there's there's an aspect of due process there as well. Exactly. It's, not, it's not like a popularity contest or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just because yeah. he was a popular person or yeah. something, yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, but yeah, I was going to say, he, but he, also he he lives in the spotlight, meaning as a pope, one of the things nowadays, there's very little... Like at one time, you, like you didn't get news from Rome for months at a time as they traveled right. over on yeah. a boat and everything else. And then we've... Like with the advancement of technology, a lot of... Everything is spotlight. Everything is now. Everything is immediate. Yeah. And so uh, it's hard to hide scandal, hard to hide things that you'd be looking for in a canonization. Like, was everything that we know about them right? It was everything. And, mm-hmm. then, and then you have the miracles that are associated with sainthood as well. But I believe that becoming Pope is actually one of them. I don't... Um, meaning, I, I have to look, go back on that. I know that starting an order, it can be considered a miracle. Uh, but like, if you need two miracles to become a saint... I think becoming Pope and then be, I'll have to look at that to be hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it is. And, uh, that was one of the things with JP two was talking about, um, becoming like becoming to that position was, was, you know, and so then there's lots of miracles after that. So I'm excited to see what kind of happens in the future. Yeah, and I think that's what uh, we're called to as Catholics is to pray for the repose of the soul of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and to you know, I I think we're just starting to unpack the legacy of of, of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. In in a way, it's like you know we've had Pope Benedict uh, as a emeritus uh, pope uh, for the last nine years, and you know now we're again starting to pay attention to his writings and things. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's natural after someone passes away. So there's lots of things that we can unpack in in the future. So we continue to read about him we continue to be grateful to god for the leadership that he has given uh, our church and we continue uh, to pray for him that the lord welcomes uh, him home 
All right. So uh, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Catholic uh, Buzz podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can email us at askus at thecatholicbuzz.com. And for Josh Sullivan and Matt Van Milligan, my name is Father Daniele. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Buzz. (laughs) 